This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. We've mentioned this before, but I want to make sure that you know about the free sample chapters from the book called The Kingdom Unleashed. And these sample chapters are available for free download at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Now, the authors are connected to the featured organization for today's podcast content. The organization is Final Command. If you're trying to figure out how to make disciple making take off in your area, specifically for Western countries, like you've heard it is happening around the world, you've got to read The Kingdom Unleashed. Start with the free sampler, which you can download at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Now for today's episode, featuring Final Command Ministries. Today's episode was recorded during the National Disciple Making Forum in a track called Believing God for the Impossible. And the episode is called Lessons Learned from the Global Church Involved in Disciple Making Movements, featuring Shadonke Johnson and James Fourlines. Take a listen. Welcome, and we welcome all of you, and we'll just dive in and let these folks go with it. All right, we're going to have a word of prayer in just a minute. We're not going to actually start it right now. We're going to uh, maybe set a little bit of a stage for that. Uh, But um, we are with Final Command Ministries. That's already been said, and um, I I do want to to ask the question, uh, why are we here? And I think that maybe some of the topic, uh, either of listening to Shadanke and some of the things that he's been sharing, or maybe the topic of the seminar about disciple-making movements, is something that has um, maybe awakened uh, a curiosity in you. Um, I hope this isn't too trivial or trite, but I kind of think that it's like um, in the Matrix... um, (laughs) When um, when Neo is, is first meeting Morpheus, and it says something like this, he says, um, let me tell you why you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know something. What you know you can't explain, <laughs> but you feel it. You felt it all of your life. There is something wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. I think that's a key part. There's something wrong with the world. It's like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. It's this feeling that has brought you to this session. (laughs) You know something, and something is wrong with the world. Uh, And there is. Um, In fact, there is a paradox that's happening in the world today that we're hearing some incredible things that are happening around the world in many places among some of the most difficult to reach people you could imagine and movements of God. We're going to be hearing some about things that are happening in Sierra Leone and other places among Muslim peoples. And at the same time, as we're looking at our own culture here, we're seeing us losing our culture. Um, We see... Uh, The Pew Research Center say, why millennials are less religious than older Americans. Uh, Gallup poll says U.S. church membership is down sharply in the past two decades. Um, In Facts and Trends with Lifeway, the worrisome reasons why church membership is failing and falling. Pew Research again, in the U.S. decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace. The Wall Street Journal Religion is on the decline as more adults check none. I have no religion. Uh, It's hard to go to church, the Atlantic says. Yet, at the same time all of that is happening, we are hearing filtered reports here in the U.S. uh, In Newsweek magazine just a few weeks ago, why more Muslims are turning to Jesus This is by David Garrison as he was interviewed. 
and the book that David wrote, A Wind in the House of Islam, which talks about the fact that more Muslims around the world have come to faith in Jesus Christ since the year 2000 than the 14 centuries before that combined by a factor of 10. Uh, There are some incredible things that are happening globally. Uh, He was tracing through 2014 in his book about movements of Muslims to faith in Christ, and you can see in the 21st century it's just exploded since the year 2000. There were 69 movements that they were tracing in 2014. That's well over 100 now uh, in 2019. Jerry Trousdale's book, Miraculous Movements, how hundreds of thousands of Muslims are falling in love with Jesus. And by the way, uh, several hundred thousand of those have happened in Sierra Leone. Uh, the Shadanke and the ministry of New Harvest has been uh, directly involved. Uh, this is a picture of 70 uh, sheikhs and imams that are being wow. baptized together in Ethiopia, where over 5,000 sheikhs and imams have come to faith in Christ. Wow. Uh, in the World Economic Forum magazine, not the bastion of, of, uh, of religious conservatism, they are saying by the year 2060, six of the world's ten largest Christian countries will be in Africa. The Washington Post, continuing the conservative uh, approach to this, think Christianity is dying? No, Christianity is shifting dramatically. National Public Radio, in the land of Mao, a rising tide of Christianity. The Telegraph, China is on course to become the world's most Christian nation within 15 years. Fox News, Iran has the world's fastest growing church despite no buildings, and it's mostly led by women. If you haven't seen that documentary, uh, Sheep Among Wolves, you might want to take a look at it. So the question is, what is God saying to us? Uh, There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with this discontinuity of where we're seeing the church explode almost everywhere in the world except where the missions movements first began. Mm -hmm. Something's wrong with that. And that's why we need to pray. So we're going to open in prayer now. um, Praying, uh, Shadanke led us uh, in the prayer time, I hope that you were down there, talking about Elisha and his servant as they were surrounded in the city of Dothan. And a servant says, Master, what will, will, we, will we do? Honestly, that's somehow how it feels sometimes uh, that we're getting surrounded and we're saying, what shall we do? And Elisha says, don't fear. Don't fear. Because those that are with us are more than are those that are with them. And then he prays that the Lord would open his servant's eyes. When the Lord opened his servant's eyes, he saw things that he could not see otherwise. Mm -hmm. He saw that surrounding the city of Dothan in the mountains were horses and chariots of fire. The God of angel armies was there. And he's here and he's available for us. The Apostle Paul, when he said, Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. But they are revealed by His Spirit. So we are going to pray that the Lord will open our eyes, that He'll open our eyes and help us to see some things uh, as we go into this session. Father, Lord, there is no way we can prepare a PowerPoint. There isn't a way that we can organize a seminar that can open our eyes and help us to see the things that you have for us. Lord, that is your sovereign will. But Lord, along with the Apostle Paul, we pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, And what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of that mighty power that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead. 
It is resurrection power that is needed. Lord, it is the miraculous power that does not come by might, nor by power, nor by PowerPoint, but by your spirit. So Lord, we need that. We need that today. And come Holy Spirit, have your full sway and your full will in this session. And we thank you and praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, Brother Shadanke, this is where we're going to tag team here. God has over the last decade given me the incredible privilege and honor of walking alongside African brothers and sisters who are seeing movements, uh, movements uh, of hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people coming to faith in Christ, many of them from some of the most difficult, challenging Muslim peoples that you can imagine. And um, one of the people that God has given me that unique opportunity uh, with has been with Shadanke, his wife Santa, the work of New Harvest Ministries in Sierra Leone. And um, God started doing something as I have spent lots of time with them and that is lessons learned from disciple-making movements globally, which may have applications to the North American church. Uh, we're going to concentrate on five of them today, and uh, we'll, I'll give you some of what my perspective is. Then we're going to turn it over to Shadanke to fill in with that and give some more depth to it. Um, uh, in Sometimes... Um, uh, we, uh, as we're, we're, we're tag teaming, tag teaming um, we're just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will be the one speaking to you. Um, there are five of them. And one of them, which is absolutely the, the key to me, uh, it's the most important of the five. Oh, I, I, I did want to do this. For, when we're talking about these movements, let me just give you a brief overview of what these movements are as we try to say what is happening there. It all starts with prayer and fasting. Then as God speaks to them, and that's a huge key, nothing is ever done. There's not a strategic plan. There's praying and fasting as God speaks to them. Then they find ways of connecting with lost people, people groups, different things, through serving with purpose or access ministries. This can be anything that is showing the love of Jesus to these people. It can be, uh, Shadanke could give us 25 ways in which they're doing that. A lot of different things, medical, water, uh, dental. It, it can be anything. Here in the United States, it could be many things. But then the reason they're doing these things of service, access ministries, is because they believe there's a person of peace. God is going to open a community, open a people group through a person of peace. Luke 10, when Jesus said, as you go out, if you go, if you go and the person of peace is there, your peace rests upon you, stay there. Because God's going to use that person to open the community. All right, then they're going to start with a discovery Bible study of gathering a group, a group of Muslims who know nothing about the Bible. So you got a group of Muslims sitting around doing a discovery study where no one is teaching. That will come later. But they are discovering. It, it is the reason ordinary people can do this is because the Holy Spirit of God is using the Word of God and creating the people of God. And the greatest discipler in the world is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It is the Holy Spirit. That's all we need. That's why if ordinary people can't do this, we don't stand a chance. If it's up to the people who are professionally and theologically trained, we don't stand a chance. There's not enough. It has to be people who just came to faith in Christ yesterday that are disciple makers. Yesterday, Amen. they're disciple makers. Amen. It's not a whole incredible amount of training. You start off with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and you. Mm-hmm. Now, training, teaching, all of that, that comes later. But it has to be ordinary people. But there's a discovery study. We won't unpack all of that. Uh, but anyway, then embracing multiplication. Um, basically, 
This church is planting, this church is planting, this church. That's done by disciple making. Disciple making is what creates churches. You can do church planting without disciple making. I've seen it happen a lot. It's not possible to do disciple making as your goal without seeing churches planted. If you see disciples form obedient disciples of Jesus, they will form because they will take the word of God, they will form into churches. All right, so this is kind of just an organic summary. So let me get to the first one, share with you my perspective, then we'll ask Shadanke to fill in the blank. Lesson one, prayer, fasting, and listening to God. Um, This is a confessional from me uh, for 30 years in ministry. Uh, As I look back and I started seeing what was happening with these movements and I observed my own life in comparison, I looked at their prayer and their fasting and determined something was lacking in mine. Something was lacking in mine. They had none of the things that I would have considered to be advantages, but they were seeing incredible breakthroughs. And honestly, it's not the things that I think that we have, I think I came to a place where I felt like that certain things put me in a better position for the Holy Spirit to use me. It might be education. It might be research. It might be money. It might be a good strategic plan. All of these things somehow, and God uses all of that. God uses all of that. But I will tell you this. If we ever think that any of that gives us any advantage for the Holy Spirit to be using us, we are believing a lie. He will use it all. Honestly, folks, with Moses, the fact that he was raised in Pharaoh's household did help him when he was leading three million people across the wilderness. But it didn't do one thing for him at the Red Sea. Didn't matter how much education he had. Didn't, Didn't matter how much money he had. If the Holy Spirit of God is not working, it's not going to happen. I look back on my life. What was my response to challenges, setbacks, and defeats? When things happened in my life that set me back, what did I do? Now, this is confessional with me. I just realized I made a longer list. I worked harder. I read more books. I called in experts and consultants. I actually went to conferences. (laughs) Nothing wrong with any of those. I did not pray and fast. Mm. I worked harder. And as I have observed the, the people when they have had setbacks, what is it that they do? They pray and they fast. Um, I could give specific examples of that. We'll have Shadanka give some here in just a moment. The final thing on this for me, there's a statement of Jesus. Early in life, I was a pastor before I got in global evangelism the last 25 years that I could never reconcile. My people never knew that I could not reconcile this, but I could not where Jesus said to take my yoke upon you and learn of me, I'm meek and lowly of heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know if anybody here has ever had trouble with that verse, but I had it. I've had hundreds of conversations with God. I can remember where I was at certain times, a few times out loud, that I said this yoke, easy, burden, light, I've never experienced that. The yoke is heavy and the burden is unbearable. Is that where you are? That's where I ended up. And when I got there, you know what I did? I worked harder. Made a longer list. Called in experts, consultants. And the yoke never got easy and it never got light. 
not until you give up being the one who can solve this and you pray and you fast and say, Lord, this is up to you. Shadanke, praying and fasting and listening to God. Um, Obviously, you just spent an hour urging us to to do exactly that, and many of these people were there. But um, a word about that. Yes. It's... um I've been saying this over and again, and it's so important that it's relevant to discipleship-making movement. It's relevant for the church. It's relevant for anything that Christ is the center of it, except it's not about him. Mm. And so one of the things we we do is that we, the, the disciples, from the very first day that you become a disciple, when you are doing the Discovery Bible Studies, we intentionally put the last question intentionally there. What can we pray about? It's very intentional. So that from the very beginning, you're beginning to pray. So some people learn to pray without even knowing they're learning. By the time they realize it, even before they get baptized, they cannot pray. It's intentional because we want to get the disciples to pray. Amen. The disciples of Jesus asked him, Master, teach us how to pray. And because they saw the lifestyle of Jesus. Um, what we have done through the Discovery Bible studies, there's prayer elements in it. And we intentionally have every week, once a week, there's a fasting period. Most of the mo- in the movement is Wednesday. Others, because of where they are geographically, they do it on Thursday. That's fine. But it has to be, we have a once a week prayer and fasting. And that means we go from 12 midnight, you know, till maybe 7 or 8 at night. No food, no water. You can do it in a different way to start. All right? But that's what we do. And then we'll meet together, pray, and then we'll break the fast. And then we go into prayer time, which we call power night. <laughs> and so it's um, once a week. And then we also do what we call Daniel prayer. The first three days, first the last day in the month. We have encouraged the disciples the last day in the month. People do it in their homes. We call it open heaven prayer time. So you, if we tell them, if you are not afraid, come outside with your family. By 12 midnight to 12.30, some of them will do it to 1 in the morning. Just pray. And I will tell you what are the things we pray for. Because people say, what do you pray for so much? But there are things we pray for. You know, and uh, we do that. And then the first three days in the month, we call it Daniel prayer. It goes with fasting also. The first three days of every month. We do that. And then people will meet in the morning. This is from 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning. There's prayer. Those who are in communities where uh, they could meet in the morning, they will meet in the evening and do it. And also, we, we do what we call Victory Weekends. Victory Weekends is really a prayer time. But we do this especially for people in the church who are involved. They are coming from backgrounds where they have a lot of baggage. That's another thing. Uh, even in this context, there are some people who get to know Jesus. The reason why we find problem with them is that, I mean, they are coming from a background with a lot of baggage. Mm. And so this Victory Weekend... We encourage them, we fast and pray with them. And then we pray against those things that is holding their lives bound. And we have so many testimonies of those um, cases of deliverance, you know, that the Lord has done. And the next step we also take is that we have what we call the first last three days of every year. The last three days of every year, we have a prayer time. And we, that is the time we pray without food and water. No food, no water for three days. We do that. We spend time praying and fasting day and night. Thanking God for what he has done for this year. But committing the new year to God. If we had set any goals, we bring it to God. Of course, we set it with the Lord and we say, here it is, Father. There are times we set budgets, we don't even have a single penny. We don't know where it's going to come from. But he knows. Because the cattle and the 10,000, he belongs to him. Mm-hmm. The gold mm-hmm. and the diamond belongs to him. Mm-hmm. So we come back to him. And then the, we have a fasting that 
we do in January, which is 21 days of fasting and prayer. So we fast on the whole of the day, break in the evening, get something light, continue the next day until 21 days. So we have that that we also do. And there are other individual prayer and fasting that is done. We do prayer work and fasting for communities, especially if we have communities we want to go to. We just don't get up and go there. We commit it to go. We pray about it. We fast about this. Then we have a chain prayer and fasting that happens at our prayer centers that we do. Then we have prayer mobilizations that we also do in communities. The reason we do all of this is that because we know that we cannot see this thing really move on without really the foundation of prayer and fasting. And because of that, we have seen the most unlikely people come to know Jesus. Honestly, for me, even with my being in the movement, there are some people that come to know Jesus. I'm telling you, I just shake my head. I don't have a way to explain it. So that's the truth I'm telling you. I, every day I'm also in, I, I, just, I just wonder. I've seen villages for 20 years, 30 years, no Jesus option. They have resisted Christ. And I've seen, after praying and fasting for this village, naming them, the door just opened. And there are times even the local people will call you, please come. And not only that, they will give you acres of land. They will tell you, put a church here. Use this land. We give you free. We just shake our heads. It is all God. That's why we call him the impossibility specialist. Amen. In our context, and for you, and, and to try to say, okay, how does, how does this factor in? Um, I, and some of this has to be a deep conviction that, um, that you no longer want to work in your own strength. You really are trusting him. Because I'll tell you, fasting, uh, especially at my age in the afternoon, the truth is sometimes I just have to lie down because I just don't have any strength. I've got emails that need to be done. I've got Zoom calls that need to be made. I've got reports that need to be done, and I just can't. And that's when you realize that if you were to go downstairs and and eat a sandwich and eat some chips or something and get you something to drink, you'd actually have better physical energy. But that's when you say to God, what, when the disciples came to Jesus in John 4 and he had not eaten and the woman had gone into Samaria and they looked at him and they said, Master, you need to eat. And he said, I have food that you know not of. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Man does not live but by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The reason we fast is we're choosing weakness. Mm-hmm. We're choosing weakness. That's what we need to do. All right? We'll catch some questions hopefully at the end. I'm going to try to dive, dive through here. Um, lesson two. Ordinary people are disciple makers and church planters. Ordinary people. Ordinary people. Um, I want to give you one example, then I'll turn it over to Shadanke, who can give us far more examples. I wrote an article in Mission Frontiers magazines on when DMM is misunderstood. Because sometimes people, when they hear about disciple-making movements, they can understand, misunderstand what, what we're saying. There was a professor at Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Beirut that read it and uh, sent me an email and uh, said he appreciated the article and how I tried to approach it in a balanced way and, and so forth. And so we started Zoom conferencing. Um, and uh, so we had a few Zoom calls, and as he was talking about it, he said, James, where can I see this? Where can I see what you're talking about? These disciple-making, obedience-based disciple-making movements. And I said, well, there's a number of places, and there's a number of places that are closer to you, but if you want to see it in full bloom without security concerns along that line, come with me to Sierra Leone. So he did. There were six guys that came with him. I think all of them were PhDs or on their way to PhDs. Nothing wrong with that. It's good. God can use it. And if he calls you to do it, you need to do it. But I want to give you this picture. The ministry will usually give some people, we travel around, we see a lot of stuff, but then the ministry will send some people to give a testimony. 
So I want, I want you to get this. This testimony, you have the six PhDs who are here. Then the guy who's given the testimony that night was a former drug dealer under a bridge in, in Freetown. Uh, by his own testimony, he had a cartel of boys that sold his drugs. There was a woman, and candidly, Shadanke, I don't know if the other person with her was a woman or a man. I'd love to know that part of the story. All I know is the woman was the one doing the talking. Praying and fasting, God spoke to her and told her to go talk to the guy under the bridge, the drug dealer. Didn't know him. God made it very clear, go talk with him. So this woman goes up under this bridge, and this drug dealer saying, my boys were saying things that weren't nice to her as she was coming up under the bridge. And finally he said to them, he said, no, she's come here to see me. What do you have to say? She said, God told me to come talk to you. How do you know God told you to come talk to me? Would you like God to talk to you? How would God talk to me? Would you like to find out? Okay. And she opened the Bible and did a discovery Bible study with this man, and the Holy Spirit of God spoke to him. It was 18 months earlier. He's now a church planter within New Harvest Ministries. While he is giving his testimony, this juxtaposition of the former drug dealer and the PhDs was getting to me, and God was speaking to me, and here's what it was. Most of us, when we came to faith in Christ and we went to church, the way that we were discipled was usually by someone who was highly trained. Now, in most cases, that was not one-on-one. It was by a guy standing in a pulpit Mm. or a person in a small group or a Sunday school class. And usually that person was highly trained. They were very gifted. They might have known biblical languages. They might have known church history. They might have known apologetics. They might have known all of these things. They're gifted speaker. And so we're hearing that. Now we're saying, I, that guy's smart. I honor that. I'm actually going to give some money so he can keep doing that. I might even be radical enough that I'll invite people to come hear that, because if they could hear that, they would follow the same Jesus that I serve. But 99.8% of the people, as they're sitting out there, here's what they're saying, I could never do that. Mm. So we have disempowered most of the body of Christ because they never can match up to that. Mm. Not even a small group leader. But here's a drug dealer under a bridge and a woman comes up under there with the power of Almighty God because she prayed and fasted and it's not her strength, it's not what she knows, it's the power of an Almighty God. She comes up under there with the power and the Word of God Mm -hmm. and that's how this guy got it. Now he says to himself, if she can do it, (laughs) I can do it. That's right. And so he starts going out and planting churches and people say, if the drug dealer can do it, I can do it. This is such a huge, huge thing. If ordinary people can't do this, if we've got to school them up a long way before they can ever do this, we can't reach the world. It's growing too rapidly. Something's got to be exponential and it's got to be ordinary people. People, and that's what you see in these movements. Shadanke, add to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's um, it, it is really very important for us to know that the place of the ordinary person in seeing movement is so important. Amen. For us, you know, the, the difference in this in the Normal, what we do in our normal church and what God is doing in movements is that you you have the experience first, then the knowledge will come later. It's not the knowledge first and then the experience. Mm-hmm. 
So that is why most of our guys, some of them have planted six, seven, ten churches. And they even before they go and study. Joseph, you know, after doing his diploma, he was involved in planting churches, maybe more than 30, 40 churches, before he even thought of doing bachelors, before he thought of doing masters. The experience is so much there that there are times if you sit in the class, even the professor is thinking, you know, you know what the professor wants to say. And, and it is very, because of this, people even grow. I have seen people without going to another school, depending on the Holy Spirit, doing discovery Bible stories. I'm telling you, they grow so strong. Amen. Yeah. They obey. That's just what they know. We have cases, as he was saying, people who are drug addicts, prostitutes. You know, all the, we, that's why if you go in the movement, you find all shades of leaders. When we want to do carpentry work, we don't need to go. We have a lot of them. We just find them. Fishermen. Every person, because it's a work that an ordinary man can do. Let me tell you something that happened in one of the communities here in the north, where we were working. Before we went to the community, they had some few shrines. You know, shrines are like places they build where they go and worship God, you know. And so they had some of them. We never tell them, remove it. No, 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 no. We just go in, find a person of peace, begin the discovery Bible studies. Gradually, as we started getting people, they were baptized. Gradually, the shrines started to disappear without nobody telling them. And so one day I realized that there was no shrine any longer in the village. So one of the old guy who is the elder... In the church now, and I knew he was in the church. I asked him, I said, what happened? I'm not seeing any shrine again. He looked at me and he smiled. And he said, Pastor, once we are blind, but now we can see. Mm. We are lost, but now we are found. Mm. That was the only thing he told me, and then he left. (laughs) That is enough to tell me that we now know what we are supposed to know. Mm -hmm. And I, I give example to my mother is an illiterate, never went to school. She comes from a Muslim background. The commitment of my mother when she got saved and started discovering Bibles to so my mother said to me, I did not tell her. He said, my prayer and my commitment is that every member in my family, Muslim member in my family, I want to make sure they know Jesus before she dies. Mm-hmm. That was her own personal goal. Mm. And I tell you, two years ago, we baptized the last standing person in that family mm. who was a Muslim. Wow. When we baptized her sister, her sister was about 82 when we baptized her. Mm. My mother has planted churches, mm. raised disciples who have first degrees. She never went to school. One day in the church, you know, when we are mobilizing workers, there was this place that was so difficult we wanted people to go. And I said, I mean, whoever thinks wants to go out in the field to plant churches. And there was a lady who joined them. I know the lady. She says palm, uh, palm oil. Palm oil is like a mm-hmm. cooking vegetable oil. She joined this group. And I looked at the lady, knowing fully, I'm saying, and I know the area, the terrain is tough. These are people who practice what we call the sokobana. I mean, they mutilate themselves, cut themselves, put sword in their stomach. It comes out mm. of the back. Yeah. They will put a sword in their leg. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, mm. they perform openly. It's not a secret. You see blood oozing out. Mm-hmm. Yes. They will take out their eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. After performance, everything will be okay again. These are the kind of people. If you see somebody like that <laughs> performing... You have to think twice to go and tell that person that Jesus loves you. <laughs> we have them. This lady volunteered. We trained them. I told them first, go and think about this. The other day I was thinking she would not come. She was one of the first person that was there. We trained them, coached them, and she went to one of those communities. She was a leading person to discover somebody in that community who was part of that society. Started discovering Bible studies. The person got saved, brought his family. Today we've planted churches in that Yonibana in my 91 area because this lady was one of the first people that went there. Mm-hmm. She's a palm wine seller, palm oil seller, left yeah. her family to go out, an ordinary person. Amen. 
So what I'm saying is that I have seen so many ordinary people. We have a guy who has, he is deformed. You know, his, his feet is like this. The two, they meet like this. And that's the way he walks. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a corner by tribe. This young man, when people saw him, he had no, for, for the ordinary other people, that guy is not useful. But he was trained, coach, started dis, uh, discovering Bible stories. I will tell you, that guy alone, just this year, based on his record, has planted more than 26 churches. Wow. wow. Brought his disciples, now a last quarter limited, an ordinary man. Mm. Right now, um, I just sense the Lord wants to bring to your mind and your community the most unlikely subculture you could imagine that would follow Jesus. It might be an ethnic group. It might be an immigrant group. It might be some subculture of our culture. But you're saying in sales, these are the least likely people. Ivy League intellectuals. LGBTQ, whatever it is, begin praying that God himself would work because he is the impossibility specialist. Mm -hmm. And he will use ordinary people to do that. Ordinary Mm -hmm. men, ordinary women. Um, Their backwards approach. Now, I don't mean backwards by simple or uneducated. I mean, the way they sequence things is different than the way we sequence things. Um, Two examples. I could probably give four, but we're not going to have time. We train people up front and hope they will do something with it. Let me just stop right there. I was director of international missions for our denomination, and if an 18-year-old man or woman had felt God, God's call to the Muslim world to reach Muslims with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what would happen. We would urge them to go to college, get an undergraduate degree in a Bible college would be helpful where they get biblical and theological training. Then they would have gone to get their master's degree in Islamic studies. Then they would have done some work in a Muslim apologetics. That would have taken two or three years. Then they would have um, had to raise their money to go. That'd take a year and a half, two years. Then they would have had to go on to language school. That was many times two languages, Arabic and something else, and that would have taken two or three years. They were 18 when God called them, and honestly, it's possible that they're 30 and they'd never discipled a Muslim. Most people can't make it all the way through. They lose their zeal somewhere along the way. They run out of money somewhere along the way, and then they end up going and doing something else not what God called them to do. Here is the difference that I'm seeing in movements. It's ordinary men and ordinary women with very little formal training at all that under the power of Almighty God are going out and making disciples. Amen. All right? Joseph Karoma is here. He's already been referenced. He's the African director of Final Command. Uh, he is a perfect example of that. Um, with some training but minimal training, Starts going out and planting churches and seeing 20, 30 churches planted. And then they go, you need some training. (laughs) (laughs) And then you start seeing multiple generations. You need some formal training. (laughs) And then eventually goes crossing different languages and people groups. You need some formal cross-cultural training. Mm -hmm. He now has a master's degree in cross-cultural communication from West Africa Theological Seminary. That's not where it started. That's what came later. Some people who hear disciple-making movements will say that DMM is opposed to professional training and theological Mm -hmm. training. That is absolutely not true. You can go to Sierra Leone today, and I promise you, there are 20 times more people with a bachelor's degree in theology than there would have been Mm -hmm. if you had gone about it the other way. Yes. Ordinary people have got to be in it. Right. They've got to be doing it. Right. As they're in it, then you say, you need some training. That's right. When God's hand is on them and God's favor is on them, and they need to really believe all they need is the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God can create the people of God. God. Then train them later. 
It's backwards. The other one, we build buildings, hope it will attract people. You know, the field of dreams, if we build it, they will come. Um, In most cases, um, they will... Uh, they will build structures in which to worship. There will be buildings. You can go to Sierra Leone. You'll see a whole lot of buildings, but it came later. Churches were planted. Churches were planted. Multiple generations of churches were planted. You will see buildings, a lot of buildings, Mm -hmm. but it usually came up later after the people themselves decided that they wanted to do it. This idea, there are other things that are backwards in their approach, but by the way, it's forward in thinking. Mm-hmm. It's forward in thinking, but it's opposite of what we do. Shadanke? Yeah. And, and many times, you know, we, when you go to some areas, people say, oh, you know, DMM is opposed to buildings. But that's not the case. We have never started any church plan, never, ever, <coughs> with a building. Some of the churches you see today, if you see where they started, you will just laugh. <laughs> because for us, anywhere, it's about the people. It's mm-hmm. not about the building. Mm-hmm. As the people continue to get matured in the Lord, if they want a building, good, no problem. Mm-hmm. They will bring that, they will have their building and continue to do the church planting. Mm-hmm. So building is not the focus. It's not this thing that we use. It's so interesting that we have come to places where, you know, we go to some places, even benches, mm-hmm. chairs, people bring their own benches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have it. We don't know. Mm-hmm. No. People bring their own. You bring your own bench. And after the gathering, you take it back. <laughs> so, you know, and, but we have seen that people begin to grow and they say, okay, let's, let's see. We can have 10 benches that we'll have where we'll be sitting under the tree. They pay for it. They do their benches. It's coming from them. Mm-hmm. Normally, I say it is a byproduct. Yes. As they grow and mature, yes. it's left with them. We have districts that we are operating today. There's no single building. Like Karina, this mm-hmm. new district where we are, no building. But I'm telling you, there are churches all over the place. Mm-hmm. Amen. The issue, the people are happy. They are joyful. Mm-hmm. So what is really important is that we, and I think that's what Jesus did. Yes. He started with these guys, trained and coached them. Mm-hmm. And when up to the time he left them, Jesus did not talk about any building. No Still didn't have them. Yeah. <laughs> but the guys were very effective. Mm-hmm. And, and that is one of the things we do. Because what is important is that we want to, it's, it's about creating movement, making disciples. That's really what is important. Yes. That is what is very, very important. It's about making disciples. And some communities where we are working, when the people, even those who have not, who are still Muslims, they see the power of God. They call you. They offer their buildings and say, "You can meet here. You take mm-hmm. it," because they see the power of God. They cannot deny it. Mm-hmm. They see transformation. They see changes mm-hmm. in the lives of their people. Mm-hmm. So we have so many communities and villages where you know. In one of the way, if Islam persecutes us now, most of the time. Like, if they, they begin to grow, they have like a public building, which is used by everybody, it's owned by everyone in the community. They begin to meet there. What they do is that, as a way of persecution, they will wait when the people want to gather to have discovery Bible studies. Then they will say, oh, we have a meeting. So you don't have, mm-hmm. people say, okay. They will just find any place and go and have it. Have mm-hmm. it. But it is important. Both the training, the building is not what becomes a primary thing. Mm-hmm. That's not what becomes a primary thing. I'll give you an example and I'll sit down. When we started this movement, I was invited to Nigeria to do a presentation. Well, as it was a presentation, you know, church plants and discipleship making. So I did my notes in a common way, very simple way, because that's what I know. And I got to this place, and there were a lot of professors. <laughs> I mean, all over the world. When the person stands up to speak, they will say, I'm professor this and this. I've been a professor in this university from this year to this time. <laughs> and then I'm asking myself, God, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking we are coming for a church planting training. And I was supposed to do presentation the third day. I was in a room with another professor from Tanzania. At night, I would sit down. I would be praying. So he was, this was very strange. I would pray quietly. And then 
in the morning, when he asked me, he said, do you have an exam to sit? You don't sleep at night. <laughs> in my heart, I say, yes, I have an exam. <laughs> we all do. I was committing it to God. I said, God, you know, this is what I'm used to. But you are God. And when my time came to do the presentation, I mean, everybody standing was talking about the books you've written, how many books. When I, I've written no book. So when I stood up, I said, you know, I, am, I called my first name and I serve in this place. I said, but this is what God has done Amen. through us. Amen. Mm-hmm. And we started to talk about the churches he's planted, the disciples he's made, and you know, the other access ministries and things. And people stood up, they were clapping. Mm-hmm. And then I did the presentation. I had more than 40 complimentary cards of professors who were saying, you know, we really need to talk. We really need to talk. Mm-hmm. And they were asking me, what? Where did you get your professorial degree? (laughs) (laughs) I am with Jesus, that's all. (laughs) So we have seen a lot of these guys also as they travel and do presentation or in other places, similar things happen. But the power of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. just touches them. Because it's not about, it's not knowledge based, it's heart based. That's right. It's not building base, it's a Holy Spirit base and establishment base. God will do what he has to do. He will build, build if he wants. But what is important is about making disciples who obey and who will replicate. Yes. Amen. Um, and I hope the Holy Spirit will allow you to hear um, our heart that none of that is, it, there's, there's an appropriate time for all of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, theological education. Yes, the deepening and and biblical literacy rising. Yes, for all of that. But I will say this. The least trained people in the movements that I've seen are church planters because everybody ought to be doing that. Mm -hmm. Everybody ought to be making disciples. Everybody. It's as you start seeing things happen that they start training you. But everyone ought to do it. And somehow we've got to find a way how that looks in this culture we we have to help. Let me just try. I, I, let me try to get a couple of more. I, I know there's a lot of questions. Let me see if we'll, we'll try to go r- real quick here, Sadanka, and just mention these without going into them. Mm. Their movement is centrifugal. Ours is gravitational. Um, we have a tendency to bring people to something. Its focus is on events at a place. And the church staff is mainly responsible for it or a few brave volunteers. Uh, It's gravitational to a place. Theirs is centrifugal. It focuses on a lifestyle. Everyone is supposed to be doing this. That's why taxi drivers, uh, school teachers, policemen, military people... Everybody are church planters. Amen. Mm-hmm. They're disciple makers who, so everyone is doing it. Everyone is involved and it's going this way. And when this group says, we're going to reach into this village because we prayed and fasted, God wants us to do that. And this group then says, we're going to go here and we're going to go here. And then this group <laughs> says, we're going to go here and here and here. And right now, is it 24 generations? Am I right? 27. 27, they are keeping diligent records on churches to the 27th generation. This church planted, this church planted, this church planted, this church, 27 generations deep. Mm. Training, leadership training, then becomes the absolute most important thing that leaders like Shadanke are doing. It's training at every level, all of those leaders. We'll get to the last one. Uh, releasing control to experience God and His miraculous power. It is, honestly, I think as I evaluated my own life, I love strategic plans. I love to be in strategic planning retreats. You give me a 12-hour day, three days in a row on a strategic plan, I'm a happy man. I love it. Uh, but honestly, if and I'm not saying God's not going to bless a strategic plan. I, I say we better pray and fast before we start the process and let God speak. Let's let God speak. 
basically there's not as much strategic plans as I have observed with these movements. It's strategic priorities. Mm. There are certain things that are priorities, and they are going to be focusing on those priorities. Um, we've got about six minutes. Is there any wrap-up? There's a couple of questions. Do we want to take them? A question okay. I had one at the back and one over here. We'll start at the back. For the sake of the recording here, I'm just going to summarize that we have a brother who's mentioning that our lifestyle, um, uh, the way that we eat here, mitigates against that. There are certain diets that can help with fasting, and so we need to be considering that. So for people <coughs> who are listening to this, they can't hear you all in the back, I was, I was told. All right, uh, there's one up here, then go to the back, then here. Right here in the middle. Okay, we have a brother who, who said that uh, the culture that we're in ad, ad, uh, advises us uh, and urges us to the professional and the training as the answer. And he is admonishing us that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and we need to be countercultural in that. There is, there is, there is no doubt about that. Um, in fact, the, I think if you look back, the Enlightenment that occurred hundreds of years ago in Europe uh, had a, is a double-edged sword. It did undermine superstition, but it, it exalted the role of empiricism mm-hmm. and science. And honestly, as a result of that, it has darkened the minds of all of us who have been raised in a culture that was by the Enlightenment. The one thing I've seen in a lot of the African cultures, they were not influenced by the Enlightenment, nor was their education influenced by the Enlightenment, and they're able to see a spiritual dynamic that we don't see. I could give examples of that. I, we do not have time, uh, but I do believe that that's true. All right, we've got one here and then back there. I can't remember which what I said. We'll, we'll go here and then back to you. Uh, can you clarify for us what it looks like when you say planting churches? We have a mindset of what that kind of looks like. But when you're pulling benches and chairs, I get that part of it. But but it, what is happening from sort of A to Z in, in those groups uh, in the, when they're in their baby to mid stage before they evolve into something else where maybe they call on a pastor? What does that look like? Yeah, and I'm not sure we can get to A to Z in a minute. Um, I, I, I'd love for us to continue that conversation. Um, yeah, let me just make all right, dive into that. No. Basically, what does a church look like when it's not the way we're doing it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, when, it, when a church starts as a discovery Bible study, that's the starting point of the church. It starts as a discovery Bible studies. They begin to discover for themselves, find the truth from themselves. And what begins to happen is that, you know, leaders are raised out of those disciples. Because, you know, the leaders are raised. And then what we do is that those leaders we identify, we coach them more to become deeper, you know, and then we ask them, can you start other groups? You know, maybe among the same people group or maybe outside the people group that you are dealing with. And do go and start the group. For us, we always say that the group has to become a church. It's two things people normally do. You see that some of them will bring those groups into the existing church. That's what some people do. But for us, every discipleship group, that we do outside the church, the intention is that, that it will become a church. Are they singing together? They are singing together. So that's what I want to say. They begin, once they begin to do the function of the church, it is a church. They sing together, they worship together, there are times they break bread together, and they, they teach together. They are now a church. Somebody needs to tell them they're a church. They already know because they are already yeah. carrying the DNA of yes. a church. Yes. And, and that's a church. And so they become a church and they begin to grow and they extend and say, okay, this is what God has done for us. Let's try the next community. They begin to multiply themselves. That's what happens. Quick question here. For the people who are listening, uh, if <laughs> churches are not buildings, then what points you to say we ought to have a building now? Now, again, that is really left with them. It's left to the people, it's left to the, you know, what they are sensing from God. If they begin to sense as they grow that, you know, we, we need building, we will be having our gathering together, that is great. They make the decision, they pray, and they begin to work on it. So some of them might say after two years, three years, four years, some of them will do that maybe after six months, eight months, it's left to them. Because remember, 
we are not controlling them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really, this is also part of the Holy Spirit. It's really left with them to make a decision. And once they make that decision, they agree, they are going to do it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> the reason, it might be growth, size, as a growing size, or when they face persecution, those are some of the reasons. Some of them really face persecution communities. Some of them, maybe they meet under the tree and they are growing and it's raining. The rain begins to come. They need a building. And like for us, you know, the number is growing so much. You are planting churches, but yet the number is growing so much that you think that we need a, a building. Let me say this because there, there's a whole lot of discussion in what this looks like in the United States of America. And there's a lot. there are people who are attempting this, who are tr- trying to do this. If this strikes a chord in you and somehow this resonates with what the Holy Spirit has been saying to you before you ever got here and you're saying, yes, 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 then let me do, uh, we didn't actually do this. Write your name, your email address, your phone number. This is going to be very ad hoc. We're just going to write it down, give it to us. We will start a conversation with you. Okay, if you, if you have your phone, here, here's, do this. Pull out your cell phone. Text. 33777. Text 33777. You can write it down and do it later. And type in cohort. Type in cohort. C-O-H-O-R-T. Follow the prompts. That'll help you to sign up. So do one of those. Email. Write your stuff down. Give it to us. Or do that on your cell phone and sign up. Uh, we are overtime. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to check out the Kingdom Unleashed sampler at discipleship.org/ebooks. Until next time.